First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. <laughs> Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks, Kenny. And whenever we open the Bible to state the obvious, because you're wondering, we're walking through an open door. In a sense, a door is the perfect example of what we do every week as we gather around the scriptures. We, we're stepping back because remember, Romans was not written to you. It was written for your good, but it was written to a real group of people in an ancient city called Rome. And so whenever I read the Bible, I got to remember I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back in time and I need to recognize that there's certain things I may not understand. But we're also, as you read the Bible, we're stepping forward because we believe that the Bible not only spoke to people when it was written, but by the Spirit of God, it still speaks today. So a door is an opportunity to go out and to come in. And I hope that we see it this way. Uh, we have the privilege, well, let's not forget it, you and I, to gather together in Jesus' name week in and week out here and in homes and in coffee shops and businesses through our communities. And we get to listen to what God said and to listen to what God is saying. So we're in week two. If you're new, you've come at the perfect time. Last week, we started a year-long series in a letter called Roman that's written to people. Remember, we saw last week that Rome was a city of about a million people, and we think the letter was written to maybe a hundred Jesus followers. If you go to Rome today, because the Vatican there is there and, and all of the Christian history is there, you think that Rome had a massive megachurch. But when Paul is writing in 57 AD, there's probably a hundred believers and they're anticipating the arrival of this guy that everyone's heard about, this, this radical Jew who hated the Jesus movement, but who met Jesus on the road and has now spent 20 plus years suffering for the name. Because when Paul became a follower of Jesus, he knew the cost. And so he's willing to stand up, stand up for the message of Jesus, and now he wants to make his way to Rome. So last week, if you missed it, we have got a podcast, but we learned three things. We learned about Paul. Paul is a servant, a doulos, a slave. But he's also an apostle and a representative. So the person writing the letter is humble, yet filled with authority. Last week, we learned about the gospel. Romans is about news. It's about current news. It's about news that goes against the cultural grain. In a city, Rome, where Caesar is proclaimed... As the Lord, remember, this is their D.C., this is their London, this is their Tokyo, this is, Rome is the center of the empire, and where, where the leader, Caesar, is, 
spoken of as Lord, as the Son of God. In the beginning, the first sentence, Paul says, Jesus, Lord. Jesus, Son of God. This is a radical letter. And then we saw and we ended that in the first sentence, Paul says why he's writing. Because he wants to see that there is the obedience of faith. We saw it last week. He wants people to grow in their faith and obedience, two sides of the same coin. To Paul, if you say you follow Jesus, it shows up in obedience to the teaching and the way of the master. The thought to Paul of someone going to church on Sunday and living like you want Monday through Saturday makes no sense at all. Because when you really meet Jesus, Everything changes. Paul experienced this. Read Acts 9 on this road going towards Damascus and he sees the bright light and his life is radically changed forever. And so Paul spent 20 years sharing the love of Jesus and now he wants to make his way to Rome. All right, that's verses one through seven that we saw last week. But let's pick it up where we left off, Romans 1. We heard it read, now let's look at it verse by verse. Romans 1, verse 8. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. What is Paul thankful for? Remember, in this first part of the series, we're simply looking at the introduction and the message of the good news. Notice what he says. He's grateful for their faith because your faith is being reported all over the world. First, he starts with, I want to see the obedience of faith. I want to come to Rome to see more people trust and obey Jesus. But I'm thankful already because he's never been there. I hear the report. There are Jesus followers in the most influential city in the world. So Paul is a strategist and he already is looking ahead. God has been at work. There are people there who love and follow Jesus. Their faith is making a difference. And so because Rome is such a strategic city and because Paul is by nature a strategist, he knows when the message of Jesus spreads all over Rome, it's going to hit the entire Roman Empire. But he's grateful that God is already at work. He's thankful. Again, verses 1 through 17 are just the intro, and we're just getting started. But I wonder, in light of how Paul starts, humble servant who wants to see people obey and trust Jesus, and I'm thankful. I wonder what that has to say about you and me. You know, life is complicated. Paul's been beaten up and thrown out of every city as he preaches Jesus, and he keeps going at it. And he knows, even though he's in Corinth at the time, he knows when he goes to Rome that people, if they hated him in Corinth, and they hated him in Thessalonica, and they hated him in Ephesus, and they hated him in Philippi, he knows they're going to hate him. And Rome has the ability to crush you. When you're on the outskirts, it takes longer. But he knows when he goes to Rome, the seat of power is there. And he knows that it's going to cost him something. But he's thankful. You see, life is complicated. You have your good days, you have your tough days, you have your ups, and you have your downs. But let me just ask you today, when you think about life, when you think about your world, how thankful are you for what God has already done? Have you taken even time this morning? I'm assuming you had something to drink or something to eat. 
Was there anything within you this morning? If you have small kids, you have no time to be thankful. You're just trying to keep them alive and get them here. But for those of you, maybe that wasn't your, your morning. Is thankfulness or thanksgiving, is it part of your rhythm of life? It seems to be to Paul. I want to come to you, I'm thankful to God, because what I hear he, him doing is amazing. You know, we, as a team, we get together on Tuesday mornings, our staff, and we, uh, we think about you, and we pray, and we plan, and we're reading ahead. So whatever we're doing this Sunday, we're reading on Tuesday. And in light of it, we just did an exercise I would encourage you to do, even right now while I'm talking, if that works for you, or maybe when you get home. We took 15 minutes, and all of us just went around this building, and said, get alone for 15 minutes, and write out 30 things specifically that you're thankful for right now. Or 30 things that you're burdened for and praying for right now. And so we just got away for 15 minutes and just, now don't, don't be generic. Thank God that I'm alive. Okay, okay. Like, you're alive. Congratulations. What specifically are you thanking God for? And then we got back in the room, and I encourage you, if you're in one of our communities, you ought to do this together sometime. And we just went around, and everyone shared one or two or three, and went around the circle, and then went around again, listening to what specific things God has already done in our own team. And it was faith building. And then out of that, things that we're praying for, you really know the heart of where someone is at. If you just ask him, hey, what are you praying for the most? Or what's the most significant thing you're asking God for? You'd be surprised at what popped up in our own team. Things I, I wasn't even aware of. And that's where Paul begins in this introduction. I love you. I can't wait to get to be with you. I have the good news of Jesus, but I'm thankful to God for what he's doing. You see, Paul is thankful for what? He's thankful for the open door. And I want to remind you as a community, maybe you're new here or, or just checking things out, God has given us places where we ought to thank him. We ought to thank him that he seems to be pushing us in the direction of service. I think of Myanmar. Brandon and I were there, and I told you a little bit about it during our vision series. We were there on the way to Thailand to be at a conference uh, of a ministry that we support there that's taking care of kids who may be sold off into the sex trade. And we're partnering with this organization to rescue kids before they're sold. But we spent a few days in Myanmar seeing one of the homes uh, where kids are being pulled into to, kept, to be kept safe. And something happened while we were there. And I thought it was going to happen because I was praying beforehand. But while I was there, I'm just a, I'm a visual learner. I need to be there. I need to see it, touch it. But while I was there, it's just something in my soul. I don't even have details to share, but I do know this is a country that's been closed to foreign missionaries for 50 years. This is a country where to preach the name of Jesus in public would get you thrown in prison. You can't do it. This weekend, a dear friend of mine, Reed, who lives in Salem, is there with a team. Last night, they had 4,000 people in the second largest city in an open-air festival sharing the love of Jesus. Right now. And I'm saying, I want a piece of that. We are stepping into the season to serve in a place where I've only been once and we were there for like three days. But we've got an open door and the question is, what are we going to do? I am thankful that God's stirring us to pioneer something. I don't even know what it is. I don't even care. 
when God begins to nudge Paul towards Rome to go to Spain, he simply takes the first step and he writes them the letter. We have to thank God. We, God is bringing people to our community that have a passion to share Jesus with, uh, with people from all walks of life. Austin, I think he's over here, Austin, over here in Monica, newer to our community, but been a part of the church for a long time. We're at Westside. And I didn't know this, but Austin was already planning to go to Romania, and he told me about it, and we got together for coffee. And I've been going to Romania for 16 years. Why? It makes no sense. I'm not Romanian. But God has opened the door for 16 years to preach the gospel all over. And Austin's like, hey, I'm going. And we're talking about how to share the gospel there and, and catching up with their updates. And, and it's like, wow, God's brought another person in our community who wants to share the love of Jesus Christ. He's in business, but feels called and compelled to share good news, right? God's bringing people who, who want to step through an open door. And I'm thankful to God for that. Penny Stady, many of you know her. She was on video while we were in Thailand. She is one of our deacons, and she, uh, she's the global director of Hear the Cry, what we do together to reach the poor and the widow and the orphan and those in need. Right now, she's not here. We're having fun. She's in Haiti serving the least of these with a team as we speak, and particularly helping moms who are about to give birth. But it's real tough. I mean, everything has collapsed there, everything. So they're bringing some training and some resources to help moms in their moment of need when they're about to have a child that their experience will be better than it is right now. And I, I thank God for that. Brennan and I, after we leave, while you're having lunch, we're zipping out and we're going to uh, Spokane tonight. Their gathering's at five. We helped plant the church in Spokane called River's Edge. And they started a month ago. And on first Sunday, uh, since we don't have an evening gathering, we're going to go and and we're going to go there every month and be with our people. Because why? That's what, that's what Jesus does, right? And I'm thrilled about seeing what God is doing in Spokane, Washington. I am thankful. Now, I could have talked about all of our problems. <laughs> we have issues, people. We're growing as a church. You could see it, and we ran out of chairs. And there's all sorts of things going on here. But Paul is thankful to God that the doors are open. So let me ask you, what are you thankful for? That's just stuff like that's going on collectively. Right now, I want you to just, just let's just do an exercise like we did. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds. If you have a pen, ancient writing tool, if you have a phone or a device, I want you to either in your notes, in your app, in a pen on a piece of paper, I want you to write down one thing. I mean, be hyper-specific that you are thankful for. All right, go ahead. 60 seconds, you got it. And we pause this teaching for a commercial break. What are you thankful for? All right, I didn't count, so I'm gonna guess that was 60. Uh, oh, come on, people. Maybe it was 37. All right, I want you to help me out. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for Myanmar, and I'm thankful for, for Spokane. I'm thankful for the church planting and evangelism. Uh, but maybe, you're, maybe your focus is different. Hit me. Someone over here, what are you thankful for? Silence. Okay, so we're, we'll come back to you. Someone over here, what are you, what are you, what's one thing you're thankful for? Yes. 
the ability to give your children a better life than what you had. Yes. Profound. Over here, someone. I'm sorry? Recovery from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. I mean, Jesus saves and delivers. All right. You had, you had it. Over here. Loving people who care for, how old are you? Ten. Out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. Loving people who care for me. Well done. Your allowance just doubled. <laughs> By faith. All right, someone over here. Yes. God's pushing you out of your comfort zone. Over here, someone else. All right, being part of a festival in Romania and doing that by faith. Someone over here. We're going to do this for 20 minutes. Come on, people. No one else? The Bible. You have the word of God on app and paper. We ought to thank God. Do you know in Romania, not even a generation ago, a dear friend of mine, Florentine Klippa, his father was, was killed for his faith for smuggling Bibles from Romania to Ukraine. This is 30 years ago, my friends, and left a legacy. All of his kids are following Jesus and radically working for the kingdom. So, but we have the Bible. Anyone over here? Yeah. All right, moving you from one community to another within the church so there's more opportunity to serve in ministry. Yeah. Second grandchild in the oven. That's code, not born yet. All right. This is good. You see, it is easy to fixate on your problems, my friend. But let's remember, with every problem, with every challenge, God has always given you an open door. And you, like Paul, can start your day, your week, your month, your year, your hour. Thanking God for what he's done. Now, where does Thanksgiving lead us, though? Because being thankful isn't the end. I want you to notice the progression. Look at verse 9. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray uh, that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. He says, I, I long to see you. I want to be with you. You see, Paul's thanksgiving leads him to prayer. And I want you to see the cycle in this. Again, we're, just, we're going line by line, not to say things that Paul wasn't thinking, but to kind of get his mindset. He's going from Corinth towards Rome, and he's setting the tone for him to share the gospel with them. I'm thankful and I'm praying. I'm thankful and I'm praying. If you say, you know, Jose, I'm struggling. I go to pray, and I, it's crickets, you know? Talk about sports. Talk about the market. Talk about problems. I go to pray. I got three minutes. I run out of stuff. Maybe we can learn from Paul. He is fixated on gratefulness for what God has done. He's got 20 years of history to go back to. And he's thankful. And the more you start thanking God for what he's doing in your world, it will fuel things that are not yet resolved. Thankfulness makes you think about, oh, but you did that, God. And it stirs faith in your soul to begin to pray for things that matter. He says, God, I am praying for you at all times. I constantly remember you. 
Time with God, and this is where we want to be stretched, time with God isn't a daily or a weekly Christian necessity. It's a moment-by-moment privilege, my friends. Time with God. You can spend the day with God. That doesn't mean that every single moment you could be at your desk doing code. You could be on the sales floor selling product. But moment by moment, you can drop in and out of a conversation with God. When, when a potential client comes in and you're able to make their day and encourage them as they walk away, you can just thank God, thank you for the ability to speak and work. If you're a teacher and you see progress in, in one of your students where there was a little bit of a rough patch, God, thank you. You've given me the ability to build up this young person. You all throughout the day, I all throughout the day, we have the privilege of spending time in God's presence. When you read all of Paul's letters at the front end of every letter, he says, I pray for you, I think about you, I pray for you. See, Paul, even though he's, he's busy traveling and preaching and serving and writing, he's never too busy for God. He's never too busy for God's presence. And I pray that for you. You would never be so consumed by life that God becomes an afterthought. And you look back and say, man, it's been three days. And I haven't haven't even been listening to the one who owns it all, who has it all. I've been stressed about my stuff when God is right here trying to pour out calm and truth and answers and wisdom. Now, this is not a guilt trip. This is an invitation. Thanksgiving and prayer. Now, where does that take him? Look at verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some sort of spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is huge. The goal of Paul writing and going to be with the Roman church is that they would mutually encourage one another. Now, what does that mean? Notice, look inside the verse. He says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I want you to grow. Then he says, I want to have a harvest among you. I want to be a part of what God's doing. So mutually encourage one another says, I have something that you need. By the way, side note, the reason we don't follow Jesus alone is The church is always described as a body. So much to the point, Paul gets ludicrous in one letter and says, what would it look like if we were all the eye? Imagine your entire body was eyes. I mean, that's just like, that's a freak, right? That's like a Marvel movie, you know? That's not normal. The body implies that God's way of building you up is giving other people stuff and giving you stuff, knowing that collectively you are all going to grow. You want to you frustrate your faith? Do it alone. You want to stunt your growth? Follow Jesus by yourself. You want to fuel growth in God? Get together with more brothers and sisters, more mature, newer to faith. Young, old, rich, poor, do not surround yourself with people like you. Here's why. They will tell you what you want to hear. People that are different than you will push you 
to growth. And so he says, I'm thankful, but I want to be a part of pushing you to growth. I want to have a harvest. And then he says at the end of the verse, I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So verse 14, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to all of you who are in Rome. He says, I want to impart and I want to have a harvest and I want to preach the gospel to you. Which when I read this week, I was like, wait a minute. He's actually writing to the church. Why would he want to preach the gospel to the church? That doesn't make any sense. Hello, Andy Zelensky. I had no idea you were sitting right there. Andy Z. Oh, gosh, echo. I'm sorry, I'm having a moment. Um, Why does he want to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome? It's because faith in Jesus matters and obedience matters. Notice what he said in verse 5. Through him, on the screen, but probably can't see it because of the door. Through him... We receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith in, uh, for his name's sake. So Paul knows where this is going. I want to preach the gospel to you who are in the church. I want to preach the gospel to those of you who follow Jesus. I want to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard of Jesus. I see all of Rome as an open door for the gospel. Here's why. This is something we need to recapture. The good news is not just for people who have yet to follow Jesus. Some say, well, I, I received the good news when I was 10 and I got baptized. Great. I need to preach the gospel to you. The good news of what God has done in his son Jesus doesn't end becoming good news when you receive it. It's like an open door. So, so an invitation, we'll look at it this way. I'm a visual learner. So come and follow Jesus. That is an open door into life in him. But the invitation into someone's house is not to stand by the door. It's to actually live in the house. So when you invite someone, hey, I've got an empty space, I've got a room, and if you want it, it's yours. You invite someone and you show them the bathroom, you show them the kitchen, you show them the living room, you show them the laundry room, you show them the garage. You, and you say, here, you're welcome. Now thrive, right? Or some of you are saying, well, I already have enough people. I want them to go and thrive somewhere else. <laughs> we'll keep reading Romans. We'll get to Romans 12, and Jesus will say, love them anyway. In other words, uh, faith for us doesn't end at the moment we follow Jesus. That's where the journey begins. So the gospel is always good news for those who believe and those who have yet to believe. And you and I, we need to preach the gospel to one another. That is, we need to remind one another of what it means to be in Jesus Christ and grow in him and be shaped by him and follow him and serve him. All of that. It doesn't end the moment you trust in Jesus. That's where the door swinging open begins. So with that in mind, what does he say on the tail end? Look look at it again, verse 14. I am obligated. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. I'm obligated. Literally, in various translations put it this way, it says, I'm a debtor to. I'm a debtor to the Greeks, those who are not part of Jewish culture. I'm a debtor to those who are non-Greeks, who are part of Jewish culture. I'm a debtor to the wise. Paul is an intellectual genius. 
and he will go to any university and go toe-to-toe with any philosophy and explain the authenticity and, and, and the truthfulness of Jesus and why everyone should become his follower. But you know, even though he's got the equivalent of a PhD, he says, I am obligated to the foolish. That doesn't mean those who are less than smart. It means to those who are not living in wisdom. You could have a PhD and be a fool. You could have all the money in the world and be a fool. Those who do not live a lifestyle of wisdom. He's like, I'm obligated to everybody. In other words, he says the whole spectrum. I'm obligated to everybody. Now, what does it mean to be a debtor to? Because this could sound like a guilt trip. You are obligated to the Greek and the non-Greek. You're obligated to the wise and the fool. What does that mean for you? Well, there's two ways to look at debt, and I want to explain which one Paul has in view. Two ways to look at debt. There's two possible ways. One, you get in debt because, say, Andy's got 100 bucks, and I borrow 100 bucks from Andy. I am in debt. I'm a debtor in, to Andy for 100 bucks, which I'm not. But the second way is Andy has got $100 that he wants to get to Haiti to care for those moms that are in need. Well, in that case, I'm a debtor. Andy has given me $100, not for me. He's given me $100 for these moms in Haiti. I'm a debtor to the moms in Haiti because I have a gift to give to them. Does that make sense? And it's in that view that Paul is saying, I've been given grace by Jesus. I've been given love by Jesus. I received the good news of Jesus. Now, look at his mindset. I am a debtor. He is not saying, if I don't tell everyone in Rome about Jesus, uh, that I'm a failure. That's not his point. He doesn't say, if I don't tell everyone in Rome about Jesus, that Jesus doesn't love me. Sometimes we get mixed up in our motivation to serve God and say, if I don't do more, God doesn't appreciate me more. The more I do, the closer I am to God. Nothing can be further from the truth. The good news is that even though all of us are strangers and enemies of God, God has come close to us in Jesus. And by faith in him, followed by obedience, we become children of God. You are a child of God because of the love of God shown in his son Jesus, period. So you don't have to impress him. But in one sense, we're all debtors, aren't we? If I've been given this gift of life, let's assume you're following Jesus. I don't want to make that assumption, but let's just assume. I'm following Jesus. Okay, what about those young people in Myanmar who've grown up in a village where Jesus' name has not been proclaimed? I am a debtor, not like I have a guilt trip that God loves me more if I get more freaking flyer miles, but, but I, I feel a sense of weight like there are people who don't know what my kids know, what I've experienced. So in that sense, I am praying for you. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for us as a church that we won't be content with the number of people who are passionately following Jesus that we won't be content with the amount of our own passion of following Jesus. You see, followers of Jesus need the gospel as much as those who have yet to hear. We all need to know all that is in walking in life with Jesus. And can we just be honest? We all have a ways to go. 
You could be 30, 40, 50 years. Even Jim Williams, who's been following Jesus probably 738 years. He, 730, rounded off. Even if you are someone who's accomplished all that he has, there's grace that he's yet to discover. Love that is yet to experience. You see, this is not something you can exhaust. That's why every week we share the good news here. We never move past Jesus. We never get above the foundation that's Jesus. We always need him. Because his news is good news to me. So let me just ask you, what does it mean to preach the gospel in Portland? Like what... He was burdened to preach the good news in Rome. What is it for you or, or Banks or Hillsborough or Beaverton or wherever you live? What does it mean to preach the gospel? Preaching the good news is both evangelism and growth. And this is where we need to expand our thinking. And this has been so helpful for me. And first 15 years of serving Jesus, to me, 100% of it was preaching the gospel is getting to people who are not yet following Jesus and getting this message to them. And that is right, 100%. But preaching good news is about evangelism. Remember, evangel is euangelion, good news. That's all it means. Good newsing to people, sharing the message of Jesus to people, is important if they haven't heard. But preaching the gospel is also about growth. So Paul could say, without question, first, I want, I want you to see there's a door that's open, right? Those of you who are outsiders, I want you to be insiders. Those who are enemies of God, I want you to know that you've been made a friend of God. But preaching the good news or sharing what Jesus, who, what Jesus is and what he's done, it means growth in him. It means experiencing every room having every bit of who you are influenced by Jesus. And so you and I, we need the good news and we need it preached to us, and we, which is why we harp on community life. It's not a program. Oh, so you keep talking about I gotta join one of these things. If that's the heart, you just, you, you've missed what we're trying to accomplish. All we want is everyone to have a group of people who are preaching good news to one another. And while we remind ourselves of what Jesus is and what he's doing to each other, you know what happens? You get more of Jesus in your life. You gain a burden for those who are not living in his way. Those who are closest to Jesus are closest to his heart. And those who are closest to his heart know that Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I, I love, Jesus laid down his life. So the closer I am to his presence, the more I want to be like him. And so as a community, Jesus is stirring us into a season of growth. Not just numeric, right? Not just more gatherings, not just more communities, not just more activities, but for Paul, this is just the intro. You need to know he's just bleeding his heart. Paul, a servant and an ambassador to Jesus. How often I pray for you. I thank God. I hear about you around the world. I want to impart something to you. And I want us to be mutually built up. Which means as you live out the gospel, you can build up someone else's faith. As you 
live out the gospel and I see it, it's going to build and stir my faith. As you take a risk in Jesus' name, it's going to build my faith. As you invite me to be a part of what you're doing, it's going to build up my faith. Together, collectively, we're stirring one another to live out the mission of Jesus. And this is a good thing. So I'm thrilled about Myanmar and I'm thrilled about what's happening in Haiti. I'm thrilled about what's happening in Spokane. I'm thrilled about what's happening in Bandon. One of our communities is going to, to you say, Jose, I, I, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a Bible guy, I, but I hit things like a hammer and a nail. I can do that. I can do construction. What I'm here to tell you is you can, you can share the good news, even using your gifts to help a church in Bend. I'm leaving um, this Thursday. I, we're leaving this afternoon to go to, to Spokane. We'll come back on Monday. I'm leaving this Thursday to preach the gospel in Scotland. Why Scotland? Scotland used to send missionaries. And Scotland is one of the biggest mission fields. So preaching the gospel in Glasgow, then going over to Romania. Why? There's an open door in Romania. And preaching the gospel in prisons to students uh, for three days there. And then going to London. Why? Because there's an open door in London, preaching the gospel in London. Coming back on a Saturday, preaching on Sunday to you. Why? I love you. I love you. We never get tired of sharing good news to one another and to everyone that God sends us to. And we're just getting started. What I love about this church, what I love about you is you're not afraid of an open door. We're not so stuck that we're stuck. And these are just the open doors now. What about three years, five years, ten years from now? I have no idea what God's about to do. By the way, Paul had no idea that when he wrote this letter of thanksgiving and prayer and expectation that God would answer his prayer and he would preach the gospel in Rome. You never know when there's an open door. So let me ask you, what is your open door?